Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is Primetime Politics on CPAC, the uh, continuing fallout of Vote 2019 today, day one after the election results. Now what? That's the question most people are asking in the wake of the uh, change in the political landscape in this country. Last night, the Liberal Party and Justin Trudeau won re-election in Canada, but with a smaller seat count and a minority government. So uh, he will always need the support of at least one other party to govern. And there are clear messages in the results for all parties. Here are some key numbers that you need to know. The Liberals won 157 seats to the 121 seats for the Conservatives. The Bloc Québécois surge in Quebec delivered 32 seats for the Bloc. The NDP won 24 seats, the Greens three seats, and there's one independent in the House now, Jody Wilson-Raybould. She was elected to the House of Commons last night. But there are important numbers behind the numbers. The Liberals dropped in popular support by 6%, uh, sorry, 6.5 percentage points to 33%, and the Conservatives actually uh, won the popular vote with 34 but the Liberal votes concentrated in areas with more seats. For the first time in 40 years, the party with the most votes did not win the most seats. The Liberals lost votes in every province, and 75% of the Liberal MPs come from Ontario and Quebec. There are none from Saskatchewan or Alberta, and in the greater Toronto area, where the Conservatives needed to boost support to have a chance at winning, they lost support. Even though in every province except Ontario and Quebec, Conservative support did increase. So, the results have reflected deep divisions in the country, and last night the Prime Minister acknowledged as much. And two Canadians in Alberta and Saskatchewan know that you are an essential part of our great country. I've heard your frustration, and I want to be there to support you. Let us all work hard to bring our country together. Well, today the Prime Minister wasn't speaking with reporters, but have a look. He did spend some time early this morning greeting commuters in his Montreal riding to thank them. Trudeau holds a news conference on uh, Wednesday. Uh, the opposition leaders were speaking with reporters today and laying down their expectations for the new minority parliament. Here's what they had to say. We'll head back to Ottawa with a renewed optimism in the future of our party and our country. We will keep holding Justin Trudeau to account, and we will keep fighting for our values and principles, for our freedoms and our prosperity. And we will be ready when the time comes and his government falls to take the fight back to Justin Trudeau and give Canadians the government they deserve. Well, everything is on the table. Uh, I can say that much, that we are not ruling out anything. Uh, but we're not going to negotiate that here. And what I can tell you is that our priorities are very clear. We've laid those out throughout the campaign. Uh, we want to see investments in health care. We want to see housing more affordable. We want to help out students. We want real action on climate justice. Uh, we've laid out those priorities. And we want to make sure that reconciliation is taken seriously. Uh, those are going to continue to be our priorities. Canadians elected us with, uh, with that responsibility, and I'll take it very seriously. I will have to invite you to watch closely how the things will develop in the coming months. I expect us to have quite a good leverage. You will have the pleasure of discovering that along the way, as we all will. 
Well, the election results have been met with a mixed reaction from some of Justin Trudeau's most vocal provincial opponents. In New Brunswick, Premier Blaine Higgs says the results in his province, where the Liberals won six of ten seats, are prompting him to abandon his opposition to the federal carbon tax and says he'll find a way to make it work. But in Saskatchewan and Alberta, there's more anger and frustration at the Liberal win. Alberta Premier Jason Kenney says he spoke with Justin Trudeau and demanded action on pipelines and a new deal on equalization. Meanwhile, the Premier of Saskatchewan's warning there's a fire of frustration burning in Western Canada, and last night's election results showed that. Scott Moe has penned an open letter demanding a new deal with Canada, and Scott Moe joins me now from uh, the province of Saskatchewan. Premier Moe, good to see you. Thanks for your time today. You, Let's start with the election results. Are, are you challenging the legitimacy of this new minority Liberal government, given those results last night? Uh, no, the fact of the matter is, is this is a, this is a, a, a minority government. It's a government uh, that has no clear mandate. It's a government that has no representation from, the, from Saskatchewan or Alberta, for that matter. And so what we are proposing is a, is a new deal and, and ultimately a new relationship and offering a, a, an opportunity for the Prime Minister, if you will, to reset the relationship uh, that we have been experiencing over the course of the last uh, four years, a relationship that has resulted in this minority government, resulted in divisions across the nation, if you will. Uh, we're at a very divisive point, a, a crossroads, uh, if you will, in, in Canada. We have a, a party that is increasing in seats in Quebec that that doesn't want to be a part of this nation, and we have uh, a couple of provinces that do not have any representation in the government. So what we have offered is a new deal, a deal uh, that would abolish uh, the, the carbon mm -hmm. tax, a deal that would uh, um, restructure the equalization conversation, and a deal that would continue to allow uh, provinces like Saskatchewan to get their products to, to market. What's, what do you think is the incentive for Justin Trudeau? When you say it's a new deal, um, it, it, you know, it's, it sounds like you're in the position of power and maybe ultimately you'll be when you're offering him the new deal and part of that deal is no carbon tax. Well, you know that's a signature uh, part of the Liberal government. So what's, uh, what do you think the inclination is or, or, or the impetus for him to want to accept that new deal? Well, it, it's the policy direction that we have been experiencing over the course of the last four years has caused this division across the nation. Uh, we have had to answer to, to that from time to time from as the, uh, as the leader of the province of Saskatchewan, but it's precisely these federal policies that are causing uh, this division, not just in the Prairie Provinces, but, but in other areas of Canada as well. And I would urge the Prime Minister uh, to, to, set, to, set, uh, to chart a new direction, to chart a direction uh, to work with the provinces and to work uh, specifically in our case with Saskatchewan, of which I say there is a there is a fire brewing here in Saskatchewan, and and in uh, in this deal that I have put before the prime minister, I I am offering him a fire extinguisher to really uh, quell those flames and and to work uh, collaboratively with our province. Our our province spoke loud and clear last night. Uh, they are not in favour of the direction of, of the nation of Canada, the policies that are coming out of our federal government over the course of the last number of years, and we need to chart a new course. Right, but other parts of the country spoke a different way, and I guess that's always the challenge of leading a national government in this country. So, uh, how you know, if, if you're Justin Trudeau, how do you make this choice? I mean, uh, he, the bulk of his support comes from Ontario and Quebec, and yeah, uh, it, it clearly doesn't come from Saskatchewan and Alberta, and to a lesser extent in Manitoba, but uh, how does he come down on your side if he's got all this support in other parts of the country? He doesn't have all of his support in other parts of the country. He has a minority government with no clear mandate that didn't, uh, that didn't have the, the highest percentage of the popular vote. Uh, he needs to reset his relationship, the, the relationship of the 
of the federal Liberal government with all of the provinces and be the Prime Minister for the nation of Canada. Last night in his victory speech, the Prime Minister said of, of voters in Saskatchewan and Alberta, I've heard your frustration. I want to be there to support you. Uh, what was your response when you heard those words? I, I, my response was immediately uh, reaching out to the Prime Minister, and we did uh, converse uh, here this morning uh, to reach out with him with precisely what he can do to support to support the people of Saskatchewan and support the industries uh, that are creating wealth, uh, not only for our province, but for, but for uh, the entire nation. And uh, we've come up with this new deal uh, here uh, this morning. We've been speaking about it for months uh, up until today. Uh, but I would urge the Prime Minister uh, to have a look at these three items, reach out and work with myself, the province of Saskatchewan, if he truly means what he said last night in his, in his speech, that he wants to work with the people of Saskatchewan and Alberta. Well, let's work together. Let's work together to grow the economy in, in a sustainable way in our province. Uh, let's work together like we, quite frankly, have not over the course of the last four years. Okay, so you talked to him this morning. Uh, how did he, uh, did, did he say, okay, that sounds like a great idea, Premier Mo, I'll take you up on your new deal? Uh, we, I, I explained to him uh, precisely the, uh, the details of, uh, of, of what we will be looking for here in Saskatchewan and, and why, we, uh, why we are looking for this uh, due to uh, the unrest that displayed itself in the federal election last night. Uh, listen, and we're going to meet again in, in the near future. Uh, but, but how did he take your offer? Uh, does he, is he open to hearing it or did he say, look, Scott Moe, I have a carbon tax and it's, it's something we've campaigned on. I've invested a lot of capital in it and I'm not dropping the carbon tax. Did he say that to you? No, he said none of, neither of those. He did say he was open to having a meeting to discuss how we could move forward together. And I, I, uh, I have offered this in good faith, this, this deal that we have. I've offered it uh, on, on behalf of the people of the province. And I urge the Prime Minister uh, to have a, have a look at it. And I urge him to start moving forward on a number of these items. What would replace a carbon tax if, if, uh, if he accepted your deal and there was no carbon tax imposed on Saskatchewan and you're fighting that in court? What would replace it? I would what would replace the carbon tax is what we are doing in the province already in the way of emissions reductions. And that is what the conversation is around. It's around uh, climate change. It's not around uh, taxing our, our industries. And in our province, 70 cents of every dollar is exported. Uh, and we have some of the most sustainable industries, respectively, uh, in the world operating right here in, in the province of Saskatchewan. Agriculture, crop agriculture being a carbon neutral industry. The energy industry pulling carbon out of each and every barrel uh, that is being exported out of this province. And we have the cleanest mining industry in the world. Uh, we most certainly are a model on how to address climate change, how to reduce emissions uh, without taxing our industries that are, that are operating and employing people in our communities across the province. We have said that time and time again to Minister McKenna in years gone by. We've said it to the Prime Minister. And now I would urge the Prime Minister to engage wholeheartedly in this conversation of recognizing uh, what we are doing in the province already. What do you think are the consequences? You've talked about the, the, the current level of, of frustration and alienation. What do you think of the consequences of, uh, of the Prime Minister not taking you up on this new deal you're offering him? Well, the, the, the frustration that I see across the province as I travel is, is, uh, is, uh, is due to the, the policy direction in many cases that has come from our federal government over the course of the last four years. What we have uh, here now is a, is a short period of time for uh, our, our federal government, our prime minister, to reset that relationship, to, to reset that relationship through the premier uh, with the province of Saskatchewan. I've asked him to do that. I've put forward three points that we can work on uh, collaboratively together. 
and uh, I'll await his uh, I'll, I'll await his comments on it. And I and I look forward to sitting down and meeting with him in the near future yeah. on this. Uh, some might suggest that uh, the, the 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 language you're using about frustration and alienation that that might in itself fuel the divisions. What's your response to that? No, the division is being fueled by a federal government that is imposing a carbon tax on the hardworking people of Saskatchewan, the, the families and communities right across this province. The, the, the frustration is coming from bills that are preventing and our, our ability to access markets around the world. I was just in Japan and Korea and Hong Kong, and I heard from, from investors that are invested in the industries here in Saskatchewan, the energy industry most particularly, but also others, of how we are having trouble accessing uh, these markets around the world and it's we're doing it to ourselves so the frustration uh, that we are feeling in the prairie provinces and i will speak to saskatchewan specifically is due to federal government policies nothing more all right uh, saskatchewan premier scott mo uh, appreciate your time today again premier always good to talk to you take care thank you peter Well, look who's here again today. <laughs> Hi, it's Robin and Susan, and uh, they just actually camped over on the other side of the desk here overnight after a long night of election results. But we're back at it again today with lots to talk about. They're with me in the studio. And joining me from Toronto is uh, Conservative commentator Samarta Kest. Good to see you as well. Thanks for being Thanks with us. Thanks for having me. All right, Susan, let me start with you. Uh, the dust is sort of starting to settle a bit now on the election results last night in the minority government, but it's not settling very far. It's, it's being kicked up now by Western premiers already saying there's a major unity crisis in this country, anger and alienation in the West. What does Justin Trudeau have to do about this? Well, I think it's important to note that this is not the first time Canada has elected um, a return to Parliament where there are different blocks and pockets of people, no pun intended, right? We've seen this before, 93 and other times. Um, what does Justin Trudeau have to do? He has to listen and he has to demonstrate that he's listening and he has to bring people to the table. Um, which I believe he will do. I think uh, he will not shy away from meeting with the premiers, even though the meetings will be tough. He will not shy away from meeting with the premiers, even though there will be demands that he do things. Yeah, and the demand's uh, pretty clear from Scott Moe. Yeah, Drop I, the carbon tax. Sure, demand and, number I, and one. as I look at this, it's interesting. Well, Blaine Higgs in New Brunswick, is who previously was, now. he's absolutely backing off, and he's looking at what he's going to do. Premier Moe has to do what Premier Moe has to do. Uh, but I think it's important for the rest of the country to just take a moment to contemplate if Quebec dropped a list of demands uh, on the rest of the country or if Canada dropped a list of demands on the provinces, how would that be received? Right. Uh, I think it's time to have a conversation, uh, and that's what the Prime Minister will do. Tomorrow, what's the challenge here for uh, Justin Trudeau and, and this anger we uh, see building in Western Canada? I'm going to build on what Susan said. It's not the first time a Trudeau has caused a national unity crisis in this country. Um, I think Justin Trudeau is going to have to reach across the aisle and work with the Conservatives. Uh, he has no choice. They represent the voice of Albertans in the House of Commons. They, re Commons. they represent the voice of, of Canadians from Saskatchewan in the House of Commons. Um, and so he will have to work with them. He'll have to drop the carbon tax um, because to, to, to avoid this, this, this national unity crisis. I mean, Wexit is trendi trending on, uh, on Twitter today. And so I don't, want to I don't want anyone to discount how serious this could be. Um, you know, um, Jason Kenney is going to fight for Albertans. He's going to be their voice at the national level. And he will do what he has to do if that means that there's going to be a very big fight 
between the feds and the provinces, both Scott Moe and, uh, and Premier Jason Kenney will, will take that fight up. So it's up, to, it's up to Justin Trudeau to decide what that relationship looks like and what this country looks like four years from now. Robin, how do you think, uh, does, does this get resolved or are we in yeah. for uh, even tougher times ahead here on the unity front? Well, I think that depends on the leadership shown by the Prime Minister and how much the, the Premiers and other players in this uh, want to continue this for political gain. Uh, this is politics round two. Uh, so there are actors here looking out for their constituencies and their, their political interests. So, look, it's important to keep in mind that uh, we had two parties last night that got about the same amount of the popular vote, very different amount of the seat count. So to just say flat out that uh, the West and Albertans rejected, uh, say, carbon pricing would be wrong because let's think about the last provincial election in Alberta and about the same amount percent of people voted for Rachel Notley uh, and a climate action plan. Yeah, this, this, uh, is, the, yeah, this is the monolithic argument, right? That yes, just, you know, exactly. You, so seats aren't the same as popular It's very vote. easy to do in our distorted electoral system, but I said enough about that last night. So, uh, and let's also remember that uh, British Columbia, very much part of the West, uh, taking a very different approach. So uh, the problem here is that uh, politics are trumping a reason. And uh, the Prime Minister it's, is in a different position because his constituency is a lot bigger now. He's the Prime Minister of the Country, and he's the prime minister of a country that he doesn't represent in his caucus. So, um, and his his uh, seminar is entirely right to point to uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau because he recognized this actually after an election, and he invited Ed Broadbent and the NDP to join in a coalition government. Actually, he's part of a majority because they didn't have representation in the West. That's not necessarily the right move. It's one that no. Would be and if, and if, if, if fast forward today, uh, it would be it would if, be it would be closer to Samar's point. He'd have to invite Andrew Sheer in because well, let's the conservatives represent Alberta and Saskatchewan. Heather McPherson and Edmonton uh, represents uh, uh, Edmonton Strathcona, but it's about him not playing politics. So the premiers, they're definitely going to do it, and that's that's because it's in their constituency and their political interests. The prime minister, it's in it. Don't take that bait. He has to lead above and beyond. He has to find other ways that he can demonstrate that this government respects that there okay. is a, a there is a there is a bit of a okay. crisis. Emerging. Susan, what are the other ways? Uh, the other ways are um, perhaps putting senators from each of those provinces in his cabinet. Uh, uh, there's something he could do there. There are independent senators in each of those provinces that could potentially be asked to join um, a, new, a new cabinet from the Prime Minister. That's another way he could do it. And, you know, to build on what Robin's point is, we, as taxpayers, we own a pipeline. Uh, the Prime Minister is committed to investing in it, and I believe that they're committed into getting it built and sold and investing those proceeds into green energy. The other thing, though, that is the job of the Prime Minister and the Premiers is to um, look after the other issues that <coughs> matter to Canadians. There's a conversation coming up on pharmacare. There's a conversation coming up on affordable housing. There are right. conversations on reconciliation. So. As much as Scott Moe and Jason <coughs> Kenney want to dig in on one subject and one subject only, or very nearly one subject only, that's not what their citizens right. need. So, Mark, can you have that conversation about other places where there, there might be some room for agreement until you can get this fundamental concern for, the, for, for Saskatchewan and Alberta straightened out? For them, it's, the bottom line is it's killing the economy. Get it fixed. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's exactly right. He needs to fix the economy. There's going to be a ton of horse trading and a minority government, that, that's what, that always, a minority parliament, sorry, that's what always happens. But I don't think that you can, 
talk about pharmacare and issues that aren't of interest to uh, Canadians in Alberta and Saskatchewan and ignore the uh, oil and gas issue and the jobs that are being lost in Alberta um, and move forward. He doesn't have a choice but to address, one, the carbon tax and two, uh, the TMX and get it built. So, um, so yes, there will be a discussion on pharmacare. He will have to, you know, give the NDP what they need to, to move forward on certain things, but not without a discussion on uh, what it is that Albertans and Saskatchewans are looking, Saskatchewanians are looking for. I also think, like, yeah, you can have, you know, um, senators in cabinet, but do the set current senators that are sitting represent the voice of Albertans? I don't get that sense. I don't think Albertans would accept that. I don't think Canadians from Saskatchewan would accept that. I think he's going to absolutely have to work with their elected MPs right. in order to uh, in order to introduce policies that they're looking for. Yeah, him I mean, to, your your, your point is don't don't give us a don't give us a senator for uh, for Saskatchewan that's going to tell us a carbon tax mm -hmm. is the way to go because that's not what Saskatchewan wants to hear, right? I mean, Look, exactly. The, and they just voted for elected representatives. They're going yeah, to want yeah. those. Representatives to have a voice at the table. Yes, now, and that's fair enough. And um, But I, I think it's important to note that 100% of the voters in Saskatchewan and 100% of the voters in Alberta did not vote for the Conservative Party. No, there are other voices. Frank, right, so. no, no, that's fair. But there are other... There are voices. The prime minister has to be the prime minister for everybody, not just one province and one very narrow set of issues. And I think... Uh, to your point, I don't think Trudeau is going to take the bait. This is a guy who's not afraid of tough conversations. He's willing to have them. He will sit down. And I think um, Premier Mo is not setting himself up for success. Um, and I think it's irresponsible to be talking about Western separatism by saying, these are my demands, that's it, that's all, for, or forget it. I think yeah, I mean, the conversation is the middle of the road. That's not reasonable. But there is a middle of the road. So look, the Prime Minister is not going to just because the, uh, a Premier who is always opposed to the carbon tax says, rip it up, he says, that's it, I'm done with his approach. No, he, he, he did win the election under our system. Uh, and, and Justin Trudeau but, did talk to Scott Bowe today. They had a conversation and they're, they're going to... But there are other ways. I think Semhar is right about the fact that it would be incumbent on the government, it would be wise to demonstrate publicly that he's, he's put in some kind of a mechanism to consult with the opposition on issues as it relates to Alberta and Saskatchewan in particular. And there are other ways to support the local economy and, and, and the citizens of those provinces that don't involve just ripping up the carbon tax. So in particular, uh, Rachel Notley's government put a lot of time into diversifying the oil sands and diversifying the energy sector in Alberta. There are a lot of actually good startups that have come out of that. Look at uh, the uh, petrochemical industry, looking at uh, other ways to produce bio, uh, clean biofuels. There are, there are ways that he can invest and use Western economic diversification, which they expanded uh, in the last parliament, uh, to try to support businesses there and demonstrate that you're listening to the needs of Albertans without taking us backwards. And Samar, there's also now, I think, back in play is, is uh, I think that's implied in some of Scott Moe's concerns is uh, the Trans Mountain Pipeline and any other pipeline project, now that we have a minority parliament, uh, it, is, is that in peril? Is, is, even though the Liberals bought it and support it, uh, what's your view? Is this, a, is this project going to move ahead? Is that a guarantee? I think that if the project doesn't move ahead, we're in a real crisis, a real unity crisis. Um, so I, I think that uh, Justin Trudeau doesn't have a choice. He's going to have to work with the Conservatives to to move it forward and and uh, and get that passed. See, a lot of people are expecting Justin Trudeau to work with the NDP to get his um, his legislation passed, but that gives him a total number of 181 seats. That assumes that every single member of the Liberal caucus is in the House when a vote is being taken, and that every single member of the NDP is in the House when a vote's being taken. That's nearly impossible. If you've worked on Parliament Hill, you know that members and cabinet ministers are 
all over the place and getting I'll those numbers are positive. They're, 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 they're all safe. Yeah. If it's a matter of confidence, they're yes, pretty good at making yeah. sure that, that, uh, that, yeah, you could lose a vote, but typically it doesn't. It's matter. really tight. We do though. know it's happened before in, in a couple of confidence issues uh, where governments have fallen when they lost a vote on a confidence issue. But uh, you would think in this scenario, I think we, they can and we had minority parliaments for six or seven years here with yeah. Stephen Harper, that, that it would not like. But I mean, if, if he's relying on support from the NDP, does that now put the pipeline in jeopardy because the NDP said it doesn't support the TMX? He's going to have to work with the Conservative Party to get that passed. I mean, the NDP is not going to help him, the Bloc won't, and the Green Party certainly won't. So right. that his, his support's going to come from the yeah, Conservative no, Party. There's nothing it. to be passed yeah. in Parliament for that. Right. So I think the question is, would that put at risk uh, cooperation with the well, NDP? That's the whole we're going to have to see that. We're yeah. going to have to see. It's going to, but what's, I think, more important, uh, I, I recognize that there's a serious problem in, with, in the West and that we need to make sure there's a national unity issue. Um, but that doesn't mean that we, we suddenly throw out the results of an election, that we throw out the fact that, uh, you know, a majority of members of parliament who, uh, you know, who who support carbon pricing, who support uh, you know action to 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 fight climate change, uh, were elected in the House of Commons and that need to work together. Uh, and if the if if Trudeau wants support from the NDP, he's going to have to take very seriously the proposals that they do put right, on I mean, the table. There's also the feeling in, in, you, in Western Canada that the government tilts in favor of the province of Quebec on a lot of these things. Right? There's a double standard. And now you've got the Bloc Québécois in the House of Commons. Know, it's more powerful, and I guess uh, one of the concerns I know in, in Western Canada is going to be that we're going to start seeing there will be times perhaps when the Liberal government is propped up by the Bloc Québécois while over here Western provinces are going, are you kidding me? We can't get anything we need, but they're doing stuff again for Quebec. He's going to have to play a very, very skilled, like he's going to have to dance a very That's skilled right. dance at this yeah. one. It's going to be it's going to be dicey throughout his mandate, um, and he's. It's, I, I don't have the answer to how he moves forward, other than to ensure that he's bringing in those MPs from those western provinces into the fold, and that there's a public, uh, an intentional effort to demonstrate that um, that West, the Western Canadian voice is taken into account. I think it's important account. to demonstrate that every voice in Canada counts. And I yeah, think but there's no doubt that voice. But we heard from the voices last night, and I think people are. You know, Atlantic Canada voted to support Prime Minister Trudeau's mandate, and I don't think you can just dismiss Atlantic Canada, or you can't just miss. No, but that voice Ontario. is already in. I think that voice will be at the cabinet to, table. I think that voice you is have at the got cabinet to table. Listen, the Prime Minister is a, a consensus builder. He's demonstrated that. He will sit down at the table and try and work out a deal on okay. pharmacare, on housing and on natural okay. uh, or and They're natural resources and climate. Look, it is still incumbent on the Prime Minister to continue to sell the concept of carbon pricing. It was something that Rachel Notley okay. worked hard at in Alberta and he's going to continue to have to do that and there are different ways he could tweak this to make sure that people feel I'm, the benefits. I'm a consensus builder too. I think you'll all agree we're done. Uh, we're out of time. <laughs> Thank you all. Thank, Thank you all. You. Take care. Thank you. Well, of particular note in the election results last night, some key winners and losers uh, to point out. The People's Party of Canada leader, Maxime Bernier, failed to win the seat he held for more than 13 years and boasts Quebec as a Conservative. His old party won the seat instead. The Conservatives taking that one. Veteran Liberal Cabinet Minister Ralph Goodale went down to defeat after 26 years representing the Saskatchewan riding of Regina, Wascana. He survived many close calls in the past, but not last night. The Conservatives took that seat. The deputy leader of the Conservative Party, though Lisa Raid, 
lost her seat to Liberal candidate, former Olympic athlete Adam Vancouverden, in the riding of Milton, Ontario. Former Liberal Cabinet Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould was successful in her bid as an independent in the riding of Vancouver-Granville. And the Green Party caucus grew to three MPs last night after Jenick Adwin won the riding of Fredericton, New Brunswick, uh, defeating Liberal Matt DeCourcy. And the election results have raised questions about the fate of two leaders, Andrew Scheer and Jagmeet Singh. Here's what they had to say when asked about the election results and their continued leadership. Do you feel any pressure to, uh, to step aside or you're happy to carry on? <laughs> Not at all. We made incredible gains last night. More, party, more people voted for our party than, than ever before. Uh, we got a million more votes than we've ever had before. A million more people voted Conservative. Uh, we won the popular vote last night. We made gains in almost every part of the country. This is just the first step, and the work starts immediately. The work starts today. We're flying back to Ottawa with our team. We're going to be going through what happened this campaign. We're going to be preparing the groundwork so that next time we're even stronger and we're ready to replace this Trudeau government. Let's get an assessment of the election results and what happens next for three colleagues from the Parliamentary Press Gallery. Uh, Joel Denis Bellavos is the Parliamentary Bureau Chief for La Presse. Gloria Gallo is a columnist with Post Media and Bob Feist, the Parliamentary Bureau Chief for the Globe and Mail. Good to see you all. Thank Sharon you. Singh both saying they don't think their jobs are in, in peril. Uh, agree? Disagree? Agreed. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's no reason to kick them out at this point. Um, you know, the Conservatives, uh, the Globe Mail uh, reported recently that there's some talk behind the scenes about the Conservatives wanting to kick out Mr. Shear. But you know, he, he has had only one crack at this at this can. Usually, leaders are given more than that. I, he did it. He he ran a deplorable race. It was pretty bad if you didn't do better than he did against Mr. Trudeau. But I think that they've got. Right, to but give but him couldn't this that one be more. used as an argument to say, look, you, you should have mopped the floor with this guy, and you and, they, and, and he, you didn't. And he he should have, so. and he should have, but I think that the, the protocol says you give the guy at least one more chance. J.D.? Um, the um, leadership of Jagmeet Singh, I think, is secure. I think he uh, exceeded expectations, maybe not in terms of seat, but right. the way he handled the, uh, the campaign. As for Mr. Sh uh, Scheer, I think the uh, members of the party will decide that in the spring. Yep. So Mr. Scheer is already starting, in my sense, his campaign to make sure that his job is secure. He will be focusing a lot about uh, reassuring the base as to his ability to defeat. And uh, he was trying to frame that yeah. argument today, Bob, saying, look, you know, we won the popular vote. We have 25 more seats than we had last time, so it's not all bad. We look pretty good. Uh, what do you think? I think he's toast. <laughs> um, the Conservative Party uh, had the best chance they could to defeat uh, Justin Trudeau, who had won a big majority government the last time around. He was not able to um, increase the support from the base and there are a lot of people who th uh, think that they are more capable than Mr. Singh or sorry Sheer. Mr. Um, Sheer uh, to be able to uh, uh, lead the Conservatives to victory next time around so I think it's going to be very very difficult for him to a control this caucus and to win that leadership review vote in 2020. As for Mr. Singh um, we all had written him off before the election campaign he performed admirably and more so even though he lost seats, he lost seats in Quebec where the NDP never traditionally won seats. And so they, when they, when they have a good win, they're in around 30 seats. 
So I think he's safe. Yeah. But, um, uh, Mr. Scheer is in a lot of trouble. What are we going to do? What do we make of the the the, the, the unity issues now created after this election? And, and it's to be clear, right? I mean, are, are does the are are there unity issues created by the election, or does the election represent the unity issues that existed? I mean, you can look at this two ways, right? This is the parliament we get because of the way the country is, not what a country are we going to have because of this mm -hmm. parliament we now have. What do you think? I mean, we heard Scott Moore in the program saying. There's anger, there's a fire of anger and alienation in Western Canada that's growing and Justin Trudeau needs to do it by getting rid of the carbon tax job one. Yeah, I think that there is an awful lot of um, animosity, I think to put it nicely, toward Mr. Trudeau in Western Canada. Um, and I think that the results of last night are going to exacerbate that, but it's existed for a long time. Um, I think that what really uh, heightens it though is our electoral system, which makes it look like it's blue from, you know, all across the prairies. There were people last night in Calgary who voted Liberal. Right. There were people who voted New Democrat in Saskatoon, you know? Um, like. Are you talking electoral reform again, Gloria? Yeah, <laughs> I'm talking electoral reform again, and I think that last night is an absolutely case-perfect example of why somebody needs to be able to have the guts to do it, and maybe this is the time. How serious is this issue? I think it's very serious. It's more serious in the West than in Quebec because the Bloc Québécois ran on a platform of not making sovereignty uh, separation uh, an issue uh, until the very last day of the campaign. So the Bloc is not in it to recreate the conditions to have another referendum because yeah, but part, that's the Parti Québécois is no, but like, that's I mean, part of it, right? I mean, you're going to hear you're going to hear at West that not, in a minority parliament, yeah. we're not in it for sovereignty. That's the, the Bloc argument. We're yeah. in it for everything we can get for Quebec. Yeah, exactly. And they're going to get stuff in a minority parliament, oh, and the West is. Yeah. And the West is going to go ballistic again. And that may fuel Western separation. I think the greater danger is in Western Canada, in Alberta and Saskatchewan. And that's what I think the, the regions to which the Prime Minister has to pay immediate attention to make sure that the, he uh, address their concerns. Bob, what do you think? Uh, look, I think it's a very serious issue uh, when the uh, governing party, like it happened for Mr. Trudeau's father, is shut out of Western Canada. Um, that is not something that should be easily dismissed. I don't agree with the, the Saskatchewan Premier that it's the carbon tax. It's if you can, if Mr. Trudeau uh, can get the Trans Mountain pipeline built so that Western uh, Alberta oil and Saskatchewan oil can get to world markets, he will have done more for national unity than, any, than anything possible. Mm. A carbon tax, no matter what all the premiers say, there are very few experts including Jim Prentice, by the way, the late Jim yeah. Prentice, who, who I got to know pretty well, yeah. who always said who to me... Who believed it was the way to go. There yeah. is the only way to go was the carbon tax. And now we have Blaine Higgs. And, and Blaine I, Higgs and, and just let me say, and yeah. can, May I say this about the Conservatives? Unless they get their act together and come up with a credible environmental plan, because we know where the young people are at, mm -hmm. and whether they jettison this social conservative stuff, they are not going to be able to win. So they need to rethink, leave Mr. Scheer aside, the Conservative Party needs to rethink, not so much their economic policy, because I think Canadians may buy into it, but they need to rethink that. Agreed 100%, and this is also a reason why Mr. Trudeau has to form only loose alliances with other parties as they go forward, because he can't have a, a full-on coalition, let's just say, with the New Democrats, and then 
put the pipeline through, and he absolutely has to put that pipeline right. through. Right. I mean, he probably doesn't. He doesn't need. You know, he doesn't need the. Uh, it, it, likely, it's not a confidence issue. He probably doesn't need the others to get it. He needs the conservatives probably to get it through. But it could poison the relationship with the NDP right. if he needs them for other votes. Right. Yeah. So uh, how long does this minority government last? Let's finish well, on that. Well, I will go for the average eighteen months, twenty-four months. And depending how fast the NDP is ready to go into an election, they will have to Maybe garner. So it might last four years. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't have any money. Yeah, they don't have much money, and uh, but and and they need to be. They are in a rebuilding process in Quebec, namely, uh, and that will mean a big, um, a big chore for Alexandre Boulay, so the only one who was elected. But how long at long? least 24, uh, 18, Look, 24 I, months. I think we're, we're probably talking about two years, but we don't know what parliamentary committees are going to do. Are they going? Going to force an investigation in SNC Lavalin yeah, right. into obstruction of justice? That could kill this government. So we don't know any of that sort of stuff. Right. And we've all we've all covered minority yeah, yeah. government. We have to wait. They're we have to wait and see right? what happens when they get when they get to work. Great. Same. Yeah. So I think it's actually going to. I'm going to peg my bets a little bit longer than that. Um, I'm going to say a little bit longer than two years. I agree that the SNC Lavalin issue before committees could be problematic and likely will be problematic. But again, I, I think that if they play their cards right and if they're not too um, obstreperous, that the Liberals could figure out a way to make this go on for a while. All right. Uh, guess what? I bet we talk about it again. <laughs> Thank you. And I hope you get some sleep tonight. Uh, well, I was just. I, the camera wasn't on me the whole time. So, well, well, some of you were talking. I was having a bit of a sneeze. Thank you all. Take care. Thank you. Uh, I think that what we can take away from, from the campaign when it comes to race is that there is significant systemic discrimination in our country based on race. There is racial discrimination that exists in our, in our country, systemic, in a systemic nature. And real, if you want to, if we want to do something about it, we can't just talk about uh, the anecdotal things that happened to me, for example. But I, I want to commit to real change on on the way we treat the first people of this land, uh, the way our justice system treats people that are black, indigenous, and people of color. Canada's chief human rights commissioner has a message to the newly elected Trudeau government and the new minority parliament. There's an urgent need to reunite the country in the wake of the election and to tackle racism and intolerance. Joining me now is Canada's chief human rights commissioner, Marie-Claude Landry. Good to see you. Thanks, Thank you. Thanks for Thank coming you for to speak with me. Thank you for the invitation. It's, it's good to have you here. Um, you issued a statement today in which you write, this election has left Canada fractured and many Canadians feeling marginalized and divided. What do you mean? that you know since uh, in my position I travel uh, a lot to meet many stakeholders and many group in, across Canada and I felt that since uh, uh, since one year and more uh, it's uh, there is a lot of division in, the, in this country the minority group are often targeted by uh, by uh, other group and it's time to talk about uh, Islamophobia uh, Islamophobia sorry mm -hmm. it's time to talk about racism it's time to talk about the uh, about what's going on in this country and and going back to work and 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 work on what we are good at it's 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 bring people together and it's talk about how great is this country and how Canada will be prosper if we work all together and everyone feel that they belong in Canada. Okay, what, what is it specifically you heard? Uh, I mean, give me examples of what it is you're talking about. Canadians have heard a lot of these issues in the campaign. So what, what did you hear that you think 
uh, our political leaders need to address. Well, I think that we heard about we heard about racism uh, regarding indigenous groups and community. We talk about that. We 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 heard about racism uh, about the Muslim women. We heard about racism through the uh, African black descendant. We and and we need to address those situations. Canada will be uh, prosper and and will be uh, in, in a healthy uh, position if if everyone feel that they belong and they can contribute to uh, to the economy and the prosperity of Canada. So when you, uh, okay, let, let, me, let me drill down on a couple of issues that were central in the campaign. So um, it's, it's a Quebec issue, but it became a national issue. Bill 21, uh, the, the law on laïcité, on uh, secularism in Quebec that, uh, that bans uh, public servants from wearing religious symbols. You've heard what federal political leaders have had to say on this. So is it are you saying they haven't been strong enough in challenging this law in the province of Quebec? I, I do not, and I will not comment on on the government position and each leader position. That's not the point. As a national human rights institution, that is the Canadian Human Rights Commission, who is the national institution in Canada, we believe that every laws or or things that target minority and 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 are not treated fairly, people are discriminatory okay, so and we need to stand beside uh, people who experience those situations and we need to address and take 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 action. Okay, is, is Bill 21 in, in your view is that a discriminatory law? Is that something that the federal uh, federal leaders have said they oppose it? The question is what are they doing to oppose it? I mean, how much more should they be doing? But let's let's start there. Is it a discriminatory law? Yeah, for the Canadian Human Rights Commission, a law who target a minority is a discriminatory law. So that's a yes. It's for the Canadian Human Rights Commission, our position is a law who target minority and do not treat fairly a, a, a small group of people is discriminatory. Okay, so I'm trying to so Bill 21 is that a discriminant in the in the view of the Human Rights Commission that is a discriminatory law because largely it's minorities who are targeted by it. In the view of the Canadian Human Rights Commission, any law, including Bill 21, would target minority and do not treat fairly a minority group is discriminatory. Okay, so you you want federal leaders and you want this new parliament to oppose any law like that. So we've we've heard them. I mean, we, we right in, in your letter, oppose any law in Canada that violates the human rights of minorities. So they're they're saying they oppose it. Uh, the question is, what is a? I mean, I guess my question for you is, are you seeing enough from federal leaders? And they say they don't like Bill Twenty One. Justin Trudeau saying if it gets to the Supreme Court, he's prepared to intervene. Jagmeet Singh said the same thing, but should they be more active at this point? Should, should they be joining a legal fight in the province of Quebec? Uh, I don't think that it's for. I don't think that it's for the Canadian Human Rights Commission to tell to government what they should do. What we are seeing is, we, any leaders in this country, the political leaders, and any leader in this country, should stand beside people who are not treated fairly. A country where we care about human rights and respect and diversity, and where people feel that they belong. No more sending their race, their their believing, their their sex orientation. Mm -hmm. Create a, a country that is healthy and and f certainly prosperity. So I'm assuming for you to issue this letter, you're you're. I mean, you wouldn't issue the letter if you thought everything was fine. 
So, yeah, sure. <laughs> so you're sure. And uh, we believe that it's an opportunity, you know, after the election, it's an opportunity for us to congratulate the new uh, elected member mm -hmm. and to say that let's get back to work. We have a great country, but certainly that we have many issues in this country, like the indigenous, uh, that, that the, the, the situation that the indigenous people or community are facing. Mm -hmm. We have seen an increase in hate and intolerance, an increase in hate crimes in this country. And we need to uh, have a conversation about what's going on and to have a conversation about what can we do to address we, you know, it's not about uh, it's not about being against each other. It's about how we can work all together to make people that they, they, they belong in this country. Right. So, so it, you issued this statement in yeah. the wake of an election. Uh, th there must be something you heard in the election, in the dialogue in the election, in the rhetoric of the of the political campaigns that made you think. Uh, there's an issue and there's a problem. Is uh, I, that the case? I mean, it's, it's not the case. Okay. It's not the case. It's not the first time that I issue a statement, and it was absolutely not appropriate for the Canadian Human Rights Commission to do any statement during an election. During an election, and we think that after the election, it's absolutely a nice opportunity for us to shine a light on priority that we think that the government should have in the next. Coming, uh, coming years and the, the things that the government should work on. And uh, we made a statement about that. Mm -hmm. This is a call for action. We believe that we have situations that need to be addressed. And we, we, we believe that those things that we mentioned in our statement should be priority for uh, the, the, uh, the government. I just want to finish on this. You, you, there's been a lot of criticism, as you know, of the government's decision to appeal uh, and apply for a stay in uh, the Human Rights Tribunal's uh, ruling ordering compensation for indigenous children who've been removed from their families. What do you think of the government's decision to appeal this? Uh, as the, the actual uh, case is in front of the court, it's not for the Canadian Human Rights Commission to comment on the, the, uh, the position of the government. The tribunal will, uh, will hear it and will uh, we'll see what's, what's right. going to come. Maybe you're not disappointed by the fact that the, this ruling's been made and uh, the government says it needs more time that during the election campaign, I mean, do you take them at uh, that statement that they need more time to look at this or do you think the case is pretty clear and they ought to be just agreeing with the findings? You know, for for us we made a statement with things that there is many issues that need to be addressed regarding the, the indigenous community. I travel against recently in, in Labrador, I met with Inu Nation, I met with many community and there is a lot of things that need to be addressed. The, 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 the drinking water, mm -hmm. the, 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 the ins food insecurity, that housing and uh, there is a lot of things that we need to address and it's, it's, it's complex. We need concrete action and what we are doing is we, we, we call for concrete action to move forward. We need to work all together to address those issues in Canada, which is a great country, and, but we can do better. All right. Marie-Claude Langley, thanks for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you. The only major difference between a majority parliament and a minority parliament is that in a majority, one party has more than 50% of the seats in the House of Commons. In a minority parliament situation, no one party has the most seats in the House of Commons. Now, formally speaking, this doesn't affect how the government actually functions because the government, as the executive, is not formally tied to what happens in Parliament. 
That means that the Prime Minister can appoint senators, can deploy troops abroad, can engage in foreign affairs without having to worry about what happens in Parliament, formally speaking. That said, in a minority parliament, when it comes to things like your throne speech, your budget, major legislation, the government does need to rely on smaller parties to get its agenda through. And many of these votes are matters of confidence, which means that if they lose them, their government falls and they either need to request a dissolution of parliament or simply resign. Another big difference in a minority parliament is that it's the opposition that controls parliamentary committees, which means that they can launch all sorts of inquiries and studies and other things that are really not great for the government. Well, throughout the election campaign, we've been checking in with young uh, voters to find out how the campaign's been going for them and how they've arrived at the decisions they have made. Now the election's over. Let's. Uh, check in with them again. Arianna Coleman is a student in political affairs and policy management. Mehdi Bushentuf is a political science student. And Leslie Mayhew is a political science and public administration student. Good to see you all. Thanks for being here. Um, let me start by asking you how, how you would describe the election in terms of uh, whether it inspired, whether it motivated, moved you. What kind of a campaign was it for you? I think the best word, honestly, is divisive. I think it's been definitely something that has made a lot of people question um, their relationships with other people. I've had people um, see on social media, there's a debate whether people can unfriend people over their social media, over their politics, or whether that's okay or not. So that's been very interesting. But it's definitely, for me, as a first-time voter, been an awesome experience. I have loved being a part of it, and I have loved encouraging others my age to go out and vote. Great. Uh, Mehdi, how about you? Animosity is the word I'd describe it with. Um, I think ultimately, though, um, it was really interesting to see how things kind of boiled down in terms of like, an inter like national campaigns, but also like uh, campaigns that were limited to ridings, like Judy Wilson-Raybould's, for example. So I think it was like it kept you on the edge of your seat. So uh, it was interesting, and I'm, I'm glad I cast my vote. Leslie, how about you? It's definitely been divisive, um, and I, I would like to argue that this is also an opportunity for people to come together. A minority government doesn't necessarily get to make all the calls, all the shots, but it also gives power a little bit to the opposition. And I think with the whole divisive nature of East versus West and whether there's a Wexit going to happen, I think it's more important than ever to focus on the fact that there needs to be compromise between the yeah, parties. I'm interested to hear those comments. So you, you found it uh, divisive, maybe a little bit polarizing, and, and yet how... I'm interested to know why that didn't drive away your engagement, but it kept you engaged. And you could see how this was, you know, uh, a, cl a conflict in many ways that people don't agree, and sometimes it gets pretty heated, and yet that didn't discourage you from wanting to be part of it. No, I think the opposite, in fact. Um, I think that there's definitely. You know, sometimes it's talk about my vote doesn't matter because, you know, it's a wasted vote because we know the outcome already. Um, and I think that being a part of that and having that opportunity to cast my vote made all the difference for me, um, especially in regards to the political climate right now. Um, just the opportunity to kind of say what I what I was feeling in the ballot felt really good. All right. Yeah. And then you have, on the issue of... Uh, um, particular issues was there one because I know we've talked over the course of the campaign you're weighing a, a number of different things was there a, a single issue at the end of the day that said okay this is what's making me vote the way I'm gonna vote it was the candidate in my writing I think because ultimately it I think I went and looked at the resume seen where they had worked and basically I, I built it I built my vote off of that who I would like to represent my riding specifically so you made more of a local decision exactly. rather than the national campaign exactly. and, and uh, but what, what role did issues play so there's one thing to have a candidate but mm -hmm. if that candidate's completely 
uh, offline with the things that matter to you, the chances are you're not going to vote for them. So there has to be some kind of synergy. So uh, how did you connect those things? Uh, well, my my candidate in the writing had gotten like has a resume very built in education. So they're like a professor in University of Ottawa. Um, they also did a lot on terms of like Indigenous reconciliation. So ultimately, on these issues, I think because they had like fought for these issues for for a very long time, I thought that they were always going to fight for those issues. Ultimately, I think it came down to like being a professor, ultimately talking about those issues that, that face students. And then Indigenous reconciliation was really where she hit really hard in terms of the local debates. So I went with the logic of you know representation rather than governance. Uh, Leslie, how about you? Um, was there a single issue that sort of at the end of the day said, okay, I, this is what's driving my vote? Well, we, we, well, I wanted to really kind of see more of the electoral reform get addressed in this election and that didn't actually happen as much. There was only really one party that kind of mentioned it and it wasn't necessarily something that I wanted or supported, but that was definitely something that took my attention outside of consideration. I think you'll hear more about it now, given the minority well, parliament we have. And it's the first be back past the center. post, like I think that that's a little bit archaic. And looking at a combination or trying to figure out some kind of solution to our current situation, I think is definitely something I wanted to see happen in this election. But it didn't happen. And now that you know this election happened, I think it is emphasizing the importance of how we can actually move in that direction. Ariana, how about you? One issue. Um, for me, I think definitely the economics versus uh, environment issue has been at core, you know, being a dilemma. Um, the idea that they contradict each other but then also can somehow work together, I think it's very uh, hard to pinpoint, you know, what the actuality is. Um, and on your point as well in regards to the electoral reform, I think that as we've seen through this election, um, there's not much of a margin for people to want to actually have electoral reform considering how close and how split the votes have been um, as of late. So I think it's no party wants to actually enact it. Um, and you know the voters are kind of getting a little bit upset with that, but maybe not as much as we've heard in past elections. You were part of a phone-in show here on, uh, on CPAC today. I thought there was an interesting call from uh, a woman who called in to say, look, you, you make your decision, and uh, I think at one point she said, look, you, 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 you talk about Justin Trudeau and, and spending money and, and deficits. Wait till you're middle-aged and <laughs> you have to start uh, paying for all these big deficits and so on. And, uh, and I wanted to hear your response to that. How much, and not so much to her question, but the, mm -hmm. how, how much did this conversation that we had during the election about uh, spending and investing in people versus the deficit and debt over here, how much did that play into the decision you made, Minnie? Uh, for me personally, I think you look at the history of how people had access to certain institutions. So like someone who's a little bit older has grown up in, in, an era, in, in an era where you could purchase your home, you could access education, you had more access to things like healthcare. I think ultimately then things like we've been priced out just generally because of how things have gotten expensive, education has risen so, so quickly. And I think at that point, that's when youth kind of look to government to say, hey, we need you to close that gap for us because unfortunately things have gone where we can't access it on our own. Mm -hmm. and even even if it comes at the cost of a deficit, it's the fact that like when I get out of school, if I don't have those type of supports, then I can't contribute to the economy. I can't go and purchase things where small businesses feel the fact that my capital is going into them. So I think we, despite the deficit, I think we still have to find a way to close the gaps where people have access to institutions where they can shape their future. Leslie, how about you? I think we need to do a lot more when it comes to educating everyone about these topics because it is definitely an issue. I don't disregard the deficit. I get called out for my math when I say people are afraid of 
services being cut or rather redistributed. But I like to think of it in the sense of it is an important topic and we need to consider how we can actually redistribute wealth appropriately and what truly is prioritized in our, in our country. So I think for youth, education is heavily important, but not so much that and more so a focus on industry and innovation combined with education and how the two of them need to be married together okay. in order to, to come up with more results that way. Ariana, how about you? How much thought did you give this? Wait a minute, there's, this is a lot of spending and do I need to worry about it down the road? I definitely think, and I've said this before, that I think the youth come in kind of from a privileged point in that way, in that I'm kind of watching the background and having things not immediately impact me. Um, maybe in the same way that someone who's older, who's already having you know active role more in their community, it is true that I'm still dependent in a lot, a lot of ways on my parents, so they're probably feeling effects differently than I am feeling it, and I kind of just get to enjoy the ride and um, enjoy the election. That being said, I'm still very passionate about specific topics, um, but I definitely come from a place of privilege in that I can watch it without having as many of the effects maybe directly affecting me. All right. Well, thank you all for your time. Thanks for uh, touching base with us during the campaign. And, you know, in theory, you get to vote again in four years, but it's a minority parliament, so you may get to vote sooner <laughs> than that. <laughs> Thanks very much for your time. Take care. Thank, thank you. Thank That's all for another edition of Primetime Politics here on CPAC. We are the Cable Public Affairs Channel. I'm Peter Van Dusen. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.